Hello, and welcome to Alive or Just Blethering, a podcast where two thirty-somethings discuss the music we found and loved growing up. My name is Keith McLeod, and with me is my fellow host, Chris Lavender, along with our special guest, freelance musician Gary Clinton. Today on Alive or Just Blethering, we'll be talking about Rage Against the Machine. Good evening, gentlemen. How are we doing this fine evening? Very well, thanks. Pretty good, lad. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, this has been a, a long time coming, this episode. It has. We are here with Gaz to talk about Rage Against the Machine. Hello. Very excited. I'm very excited. I'm looking forward to it. I feel I should have done a little bit more um, listening on the run-up to this, but I've, I've listened to it enough in my life. Uh, you know, it's, it's good. I think we always feel the exact same and you always think you can do more reading or, or what have you, but at the end of the day, we're, we're here to talk about our experiences and, and boy, have I got some experiences with Rage Against Machine. I, I don't know about you guys, but I think we mentioned it, not last episode, two episodes ago, this, this band has absolutely shaped my life, you know, I don't think I'd be the person I am if it wasn't for angsty misunderstanding political values and listening to Race Against the Machine and, and, and forming opinions based on that. Listening to shouting edgelords. It's great. <laughs> Very much so. I mean, my first tattoo was a red star, so that tells you where, where I'm at. So, guys, where this was your... Was it your request? Or were you nudged by Keith on this one? You went along with it. Tell us, what was your, what was your in with Rage Against the Machine? And why why would you pick them? Well, I think Keith mentioned it as an option. And um, I think just from me and Keith's history together, it just seemed like an obvious band to talk about for the both of us, I think. Um, we, we'd, mentioned, uh, we'd, we'd mentioned a certain time. I can't remember what year it was, but we'd mentioned a certain year, I'm sure, at one point, And we quickly, you turned away from that. And it just seemed to make sense for the both of us, I think, really. For the listeners, Gaz and I have known each other for a very long time. Uh, 30 odd years guess quite possibly yeah yeah I, I don't I, when you think about it like that that's uh, <laughs> that's just terrifying but yeah. yeah well we're all 30 somethings here so it, it will be something along those lines and yeah how many parties have have we been at and Raging Against Machine has been played or there's been sort of drunken conversations about how great Tom Morello is or, or whatever it's it seemed like a very natural progression for, for, for us to come on and and talk about this band. Lav, where was your sort of first venture in uh, Ratum? Oh, it was Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. 100%. (laughs) The first time I heard Gorilla Radio, so that would have been 99, maybe. Yeah. Um, That song, when it came on, I was like, oh, I I really like this song. What's this all about? And then the next thing, a friend of mine, he had Battle of Los Angeles. He then gave me his copies of self-titled and evil empire and then i bought renegades and yeah it was one of the bands i remember pretty quickly having the discography yeah and just having like what was it eight years worth of music handed to me or within within like a month or two whereas other bands i feel it took me a little longer maybe just to sort of delve a little deeper into other other albums they made one from the top of my head like Metallica you know start with a black album and then it's not until a few months later someone tells you you know have you listened to Master of Puppets and then you go and oh have you listened to Ride the Lightning and then you know you, they, they they grow whereas Rage Against the Machine were just very it was a very concise and very 
small period, but suddenly I knew every song. And they were also one of the first bands I remember buying, like, the songbooks for. I had, like, a generic Rage Against the Machine one. It had, like, a CD, play-along guitar. Right. And it just had all the riffs. And it exposed me to the whole the whole back catalogue as well. It wasn't just one album. It wasn't just two, two or three songs. It was It was a good, like, four or five songs from each album that you got to learn to play along to. And it was just the riffs, but it just taught me how to riff and taught me how to play. And it was, it was an early, early guitar band that I was probably playing along with because I don't know, it was just fun to play. Did it give you any hints on the effects? Cause it's, it's one thing to play a Rage Against Machine riff. It's another thing to play a Tom Morello solo. I had a Cog AX 1500G with the expression pedal. And I think it could go plus or minus one octave. Right. And yeah, it wasn't the same. It wasn't a Digitech whammy. It wasn't ten octaves either way, but it to me, to me, it was perfect. What about you guys? How did you find Rage Against the Machine? Well, how did I find them? Well, I, I think it was a VHS video actually that was the first <laughs> thing that got me into. It. I was tr- I was thinking about this the other day. In fact, do you know, no, do you know what it might have been? It was back at high school, and we were going on the band weekend type thing and I seem to remember not knowing Rage Against the Machine at that point but obviously there was this track Killing in the Name that was going round you know maybe the school around my friends because they're swearing in it at the end and I seem to remember going to this band weekend on the bus and someone had brought a little uh, a little hi-fi type thing you know the CD player cassette and CD and sure. then the first Rage album was getting played and I th- we listened to it all the way there, and I, I distinctly remember when it came into that bit and killing in the name, like we were all giggling because they're swearing in it, and you know where the teacher's going to uh, notice it and all of that kind of stuff. And I think that was the first, my first kind of exposure to it was was on that trip. Yeah, we went to the same school, and I can't imagine any of those teachers allowing Rage Against the Machine to get played on a school trip. Well, it was just, I don't think, I just, you can imagine a bus, it was just rabble. You've got like how how many teenagers on the bus, there's just so much noise and we were up at the back and we had our little CD player and it was playing Rage Against the Machine and I just, I don't think they've really, they probably couldn't even hear what was being said and it probably wasn't a very good CD player either. Um, But that was, I think that probably got played quite a lot that weekend and certainly got played on guitars a lot, that's for sure. Totally. No, I'm I'm trying to remember myself and I've sort of realised I've had like multiple different exposures to Rage Against the Machine. So I can start off in 1998. I can track this because it was the Godzilla album, the soundtrack. You know, you know when they remade Godzilla uh, with Matthew Broderick? Gonna put my hand up. It is a guilty pleasure of mine, that movie. Oh, me too. Like, I think it gave me a small obsession with Godzilla, even though that's not a real Godzilla album, uh, movie. Uh, yeah, it's terrible, but I, I loved it at the time in 1998. And they've got a track on it called No Shelter, which isn't on any of their albums. I don't know if it was a B-side for anything specific, but they've got No Shelter on the 1998 Rage Against Machine album. Uh, sorry, Godzilla album. There's also quite a few good songs on that. It's sort of, there's Deeper Underground by Rage Against Machine. It sort of introduced me to Ben Folds 5 as well. But then there's then in 1999, the big one being Wake Up on the Matrix soundtrack. I think it was interesting to use a track that by that point would have been, what, seven years old? Yeah. But 
it it spoke exactly to the movie and it may as well have been written for the movie given its context and everything is it the scene at the end where it kicks in as he he flies off yeah neil puts the phone down and just like flies off to to fucking killing and sorry to to wake up which is amazing and then again like you're saying laugh tony hawks but one of the other memories i have very clearly is just a friend of mine being like listen to this and it was bomb track just we're just street kicking it doing what you do and he's like yeah this is bomb track this is amazing and then he i think he might have gave me a copy of rage against the machine and that was me i was that was just that was 20 years ago (laughs) i'm still here (laughs) i really enjoyed finding those non-album tracks so i found no shelter through napster and things but i also found one which i played i sent you today that darkness it's called i knew it as darkness of greed and it was a track from the crow movie right oh i didn't even realize that was raising his machine song it was and i ended up reading up about it because i was like hey, this is a really well made song but it doesn't really sound like a rage against the machine song there's something a bit strange about it and it turns out it was originally written for the demo which became rage against the machine and then they never put it on the album all right so it was always it was sort of a b-side that they'd just had in 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 waiting i suppose um and one of my friends was a massive crow fan you can imagine the type um you know the matrix fan before the matrix (laughs) precisely that uh watching all the brandon lee movies watching him do kung fu was Many, doesn't age well. <laughs> how many movies did Brandon Lee actually end up doing? Brendan, Brandon. All right, okay. we don't know that one. I'll insert number here. Five, maybe. Just Six? know he was Bruce Lee's son, and then unfortunately died on the making of The Crow. Yeah, I did, I did. But yeah, um, it's funny how it was. We've mentioned how playing playing it on guitar. This was one of those bands that I I really took to having having a good time playing it on guitar, but I also liked. My dad had a bass guitar, and I'd like to pick up and see if I could do a couple of little bass lines, a couple of little licks that uh, Timmy C would do. So, yeah, they, they were a really exciting band to just play along to. I, again, I could only describe it as fun to play along. This band taught me how to play bass. <laughs> There's just no other way around it. This band and Muse taught me how to play bass. It's probably why I'm still playing the same stuff however many years later. Like yeah, like, I, I still even listening to the albums in preparation for this. I've still just picked up the bass and gone through a couple of riffs. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's very addictive to the the riffs. So it's a guilty pleasure, I think, to play those riffs. And I think that it certainly shaped the music that I've written um, in a massive way, like Rage Against the Machine riffs and uh, you know the whole the whole thing. Like. I, I was thinking about the the first album, and if you think bomb track as an opener, you know, you know, like for, for me, Rage Against the Machine were like uh, they were a game changer of a band. I think I, I didn't yeah. really really realize this at the time because um, I was thinking back now, but they 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 came in with something completely different. You know, with obviously the kind of MC vocals, the big riffs, uh, you know, that's kind of slow tempos that they have and. Bomb track as an opener is just what an opening track. I don't think there's been there's very many albums that where a band has had been new to the scene and has came on with something as good as that track one or for the whole album. I mean, it's like it starts with a riff, 
which is an awesome riff, great fun to play if you're just starting off on guitar, playing for a few years, lots of open notes and things like that, an amazing riff. But then it goes to another riff that's like, uh, that kicks in and there's like a second riff. And then it just lays back in itself and the vocals come in and it's just like, what an absolute opener. It must go down as one of the best openers of an album um, of all time. Uh, totally, man, I agree. I think it it's it sets the tempo for the rest of the album and I don't think the album really lets up from there. There's a couple of slower moments. There's a couple of slower tracks, I think. Uh, Set Up For Nothing is, is a bit more of a weird one, a bit more of a spoken word number. But yeah, from Bomb, bomb Track, it just... It just takes off, and it's just riff after riff after after Zach's vocals, and I think that's what was appealing at the time as well. Is so I would have so you know we're we're all picking this band up around two thousand sort of you know late nineties early two thousand just when the band was actually coming to an end, but at that same time, everything that sort of Lav and I've talked to about before we're, we're, we're coming around and you know we were interested in Limp Bizkit and your your new metals and your Linkin Parks and your whatevers but like this band were doing everything that they were doing just a million times better <laughs> I would never call Rage Against Machine a new metal band no and they've probably been incorrectly branded that over the years um, I don't mean to say they are a new metal band I just mean we found them during new metal yeah they're, they're very much a new metal adjacent sure. I mean they've 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 got a lot of the the funk, obviously the rap, but that's probably about where the similarities end. Everything from then on is just, it's just so much angst and anger in all of their albums. I can't get over it how, (laughs) I know, clues in the name, they're raging, but it's just, it's unrelenting in every song. And it's not just the vocals, it is the riffs and the drums. Is it it Chad? What's his his drummer's name again? Brad. Brad. Brad's fucking drums, the way they've been recorded, I I don't know what he's done, but it's it just smashes every time, and I think I said the the remaster that they did for the twentieth anniversary of the the first album, mm-hmm. pff, flawless. The remaster is amazing. Are you familiar with that, guys? I've not heard. I've I've not listened to the remaster. I don't uh, think. When was it? Two thousand seventeen. It came out. Uh, it's a twenty. It's a twenty-year anniversary, so it came out in two thousand twelve. Right. Is is it a separate release, or is it, has it replaced the original one on Spotify? Or no, I think it's thing. replaced it. No, it stands as a separate it. one because it's sort of two discs. It's got a lot of like bonus tracks and stuff at the end of it. Uh, I'm okay. sure. Yeah, that that remaster is phenomenal. Not that that takes away from the first one because the you know the first edition because that's still incredible as well. But the remaster was 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 mind blowing. The although we've both used the word angst, and I don't think angst is the right way to describe raging his machine. So, all right then. Given a quick googs, angst, a feeling of deep anxiety or dread, typically an unfocused one about the human condition or the state of the world in general. There is yeah. nothing unfocused about Zach De La Rocha. This is full. They are fully focused. Yeah, I'll give it that. Fair enough. Those guys are are the opposite of angst. They are a missile, like on on course for something. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with that definitely. Is they're very focused, very like they they basically have a message and they have a sound, and that's one of the things that I've always liked to get raised against the machine is that they they sort of have pushed the fact that they don't change their sound. 
They have yeah. one message. They've got a very strong political message. They have one sound. They don't try and be clever. They don't try and genre hop. It's you know obviously that I think the first album you mentioned it, Lav, about the funkiness. There's definitely a funkiness on the first album, um, and a metalness on it. But yeah, they're very direct. They just do one thing and they do it really, really well. And why wouldn't you just if, why wouldn't you just keep doing that? It makes sense. Just keep doing it. It's it's one thing that I sort of read as I'm trying to cram in all the information of which there's too much with you know with regards to this band and, and a lot of people were once they sort of started coming back to performances in 2007 and stuff like that a lot of people were asking them when are we getting new material are you going to do an album when is there new material etc and it, I think when they were coming back in 2007 Tom Morello was, was quoted as saying paraphrasing here we're, we're not doing new material we're bringing back these songs because we think there's there's it's a time and a place to bring back these songs because they're sort of timeless and they don't they're they're, they're very relevant now because this was peak sort of George W. Bush and the the state that America had found itself in in the time that Rage Against the Machine had been gone. So I think that's still true today. Do you know what? I, I mean, I, I wasn't sure whether to bring this up now or I don't know. I don't know if he's wanted to talk through the albums first, but. Um, I did want to bring up something about Tom Morello um, that I don't, I don't know how well it will go down, but I, I actually think that he's a maniac. Like, I <laughs> think he's got a personality disorder. I think he's just slightly crazy. And one of the things is, you know how they did, you know the like, Prophets of Rage thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think it was one of the most awful, awful things. of You know, if Zach wasn't in the band anymore, why on earth do that? And I think it was quite driven by Tom Morello and you wanted to keep playing these songs and they had all sorts of different vocalists in and they had Chris Cornell in and then they had, was it Be Real at one point? And it was Be Real and Chuck D. They they replaced Zach effectively. How can you... Um, I mean, we, we talked about, you know, how, how, how good they are and that sort of game-changing element that they had with the rap vocals and the, the guitars and stuff. How can you replace Zach and keep doing it? I just don't understand why Tom Morello at that point wouldn't have done something fresh. That's what Zach did. Zach went away and done, you know, One Day as a Lion. Um, not that long ago, I heard him on the Run the Jewels, do a Run the Jewels vocal, which was just incredible. He's went and done all sorts of other projects and Tom Morello's just been like, let's just keep playing Killing in the Name even though you're not singing it. And I just think it's, uh, I don't know, a little bit egotistical. We did, we covered Audio Slave in a previous episode. Because uh, again, another album that, that, that we both uh, listened to and loved back in the day. And for me at the time, it was the closest thing I could get to Rage Against Machine at the time. And I remember seeing them in 2005 at Tina Park and they had Chris Cornell do Killing in the Name. Now, Chris Cornell, as phenomenal a vocalist as he is, is no Zach Della Rocha and could not carry Killing in the Name in the fucking slightest. No, not at all. It's terrible, isn't it? It's a shame. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's such a good vocalist, but why why make him do that? Yeah, and then when you're saying Prophets of Rage, on the same podcast, I also commented, I can't take another Tom Morello supergroup. Like, I don't I didn't, yeah. I didn't have an interest in Prophets of Rage because I was just kind of like, well, it's 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 the guys from Cypress Hill and, and whoever else. Fucking I think it's anyway. important... I think, that, again, the timing was important, just like Tom coming back and doing it. Prophets of Rage, 2016, Trump's in office. There's a rise of right-wing sort of neo-fascism kicking about. And I think it was it was necessary to make something that was a, a bit of a statement. Now, Rage Against the Machine had already covered a Cypress Hill song. They, they covered How I Could Just Kill a Man on 
um, on Renegades. True. So to get B reeling, I think was a wasn't too much of a stretch. Um, and Chuck D as well. What was he? Public Enemy. Yeah. I don't need to. I mean, they were again a, quite a politicized band. So I think from a optics wise, they picked a good lineup. I don't think. I think it's just it made me realize that Zach was much more than just a, a, a shouty, screamy sort of vocalist. He, he really has. He really has a talent for for getting the the words across and, and his lyricism. I think I, I text one of the lyrics to you this, this evening, Keith, and it probably, it probably stopped me in my tracks as I was walking home. Cause it's just brutal, but very on the nose. Um, and I was like, this, this is a, this, this guy could write some tunes. And that vocal line was, I've, I've, I've committed it. I've taken it out of my memory. Cause it's that dark. Like the priests that, <laughs> Like just, just like the priest that fucked you while he whispered holy things. This is such shit I fucking love Rain's Against Machine for, you know. <laughs> I know, like, <laughs> and I, I can't pretend to sit here and love the band and know everything that they stand for because they are so politically motivated, because they are so anti-capitalist and, and sort of anti-sort of kind of America, to be honest. I know they're not, but do you know what I mean? Like the Zapatista movement and all the individual causes i mean you listen to some of the live stuff even if you listen to the, the the 20th anniversary it goes on and he talks about a gentleman who was wrongly imprisoned from a reservation before going into bomb track you know i've seen rage against machine live that's not the sort of stuff i can remember from the from the performance but you know when these guys were in their prime and they're doing these shows and they have this political message like that's it's completely over my head. Is the point I'm trying to make here? I I I love Rage Against Machine, but I don't can't sit here and pretend to know every everything they stand for because they stand for so much. I mean, I, I don't know if it's the case that it's like you know Zach very much is driving what that message is, and I, I sometimes think that um, Tom Morello is at odds with that. They're, they're anti-capitalist, but I don't know. Tom Morello isn't quite committed to that message as, as same as Zach I don't think I, I think that I've, I've read so I've read on online that this is more to do with they've been questioned about this because yes they're they're anti-capitalist but they're signed to a major label yeah. they're you know they're, they're they're against being pub pushed and the media and things yet they they do it but they're doing it their reasoning I think is the more people that hear their message the better and the only way they can do that is by playing the game i think what i'd read as well was initially when they were recording rage against the machine there was no record interference now out of all the albums we've covered there's a lot of them have had you know record interference or you know they've had a producer that sort of led the album or 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 whatever from what i briefly read for rage against the machine they were basically left to do it and because of that they felt they weren't compromised artistically and they released the album they wanted to release, despite the fact it was on a massive major label. I think it was it was on Epic, was it not? Which yeah. was the slightly it was still Sony, but it was the slightly less mainstream version. Cool, of the, it was cool still Sony. Sony. Yeah, it's a bit was of a it, stretch that. But was it Sony at the time, or were they were they still Epic? You know, standalone. I don't know. I, I thought I always thought that Epic was like a kind of subsidiary of right. um, of Sony, but I, I could be wrong. But I, I I'm. I forgot the album here actually I'm having a little look at it it says epic on it 
But yeah. I'm sure I'm sure that was owned by Sony. No, I'm just having a look at who the producer was. So it was a, a gentleman called Garth Richardson. Yeah, he's he's producing stuff. He yeah, Atreus the Curse. Yeah, still remains of Love and Lunacy. Oh, love that album. Uh, Rise Against Siren Song of Counterculture, probably the most link at uh, the Rise Against. I know the Rage Against Rise Against. I think Rise Against took the mantle of of what Rage Against the Machine were doing and turned it into pop punk or punk rock. Ooh, uh, you know some of the some of the topics that Tim sings about in in some of the songs is. You know, it, it gets on there, and they do have you know thematic songs like anti-war, anti-capitalism, but it was done in a punk rock, pop punk sort of way, so it's a little bit bit easier to digest, and maybe would go down a bit better on a school bus. Um, <laughs> I'm just looking, like sick of it all's built to last. Fucking great album. They did LD50 by Mudvayne. Fucking hell! So he did. Or he did Mudvayne. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, there's a... Wow, he's got some really good credits to his name. No, very impressive. But then you've got, for Evil Empire and Battle of Los Angeles, they stuck with Brendan O'Brien? O'Brien? Brian? Brian? Yeah, I'm not quite sure. He's done Pearl Jam, Corn, The Offspring, Papa Roach, just to name a few. Ah, now interesting with the links with Pearl Jam and Temple of the Dog there. Yeah. So I read today that Tim Comerford got into the band because he got rejected for being for his audition. What became Pearl Jam? It was Brad, the drummer. Brad was it? Brad was it? So, so Tom Tom had his band. They broke up in '91. Their his friend then convinced him to talk to to Tim and Zach because they were high school friends so the three of them sort of started jamming and they brought Brad in and thus we have Rage Against the Machine but on that note that was 1991 they released Rage Against the Machine in 1992 yeah. <laughs> these guys did not fuck about they did not I, I think, interestingly as well that Brendan O'Brien I think he was involved with Bruce Springsteen which I actually didn't realise um, and obviously there's that connection isn't there between Rage Against the Machine and the ghost of Tom Joad, and then Tom Morello, I'm sure, toured with Bruce Springsteen at one point as his guitarist. So. Was he his actual guitarist, or, is a, or was he a support act? Well, he was. I think he he was just live. I think it was right. just for a tour. But I think he had to, I do. I think he had to learn about 200 songs. I think that uh, Tom Morello, you know, what, you know what Springsteen's like. But no, I didn't actually realise that, uh, which is quite a cool, quite a cool connection. How do you? How do, how, Sidestep. How do you guys feel about Springsteen? Like, are you like? Is anyone a Springsteen fan here? Indifferent. Yeah. I think I I have respect for him uh, because he's just such a hard working, you know, musician. I think he plays shows for like literally three and a half hours and things like that. You know, he doesn't. Yeah. You know, he absolutely doesn't fuck around, goes like. for it. He gives his fans kind of what he wants, but um, I can't say that it's really an artist that I've spent. A massive amount of time on. I know the big songs, but um, not much more more than that. But um, no. I can name "Born in the USA" and <laughs> "Goes to Tom Jordan." <laughs> yeah, I, I only asked because one he's came up and in, in two, you know, I just I've, I've I have friends who have like m- you know moved into like the Bruce Springsteen way of life. Like the guy's almost a culture where they just they eat, sleep, breathe Bruce Springsteen, and I'm like. 
what, what's what's the attraction here? Why? What, what, what do you guys what what do you guys see in here? But no, no one's no one's a, a Springsteen fan here. That's fair enough. Maybe not. No, I'm not. Not. I, I can't. You can't. How could you describe yourself a yeah. fan if you don't really know much, their their songs? The, 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 the big songs are are good songs. Yeah. No. Hundred percent. Yeah. I am. I am both not a fan of or a fan of of spring of Bruce Springsteen. It's uh, if anything, <laughs> it's that's just an entire beast of I've not even thought about. But so Rage Against Machine, the album was amazing. Guys, you were sort of saying how they've 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 had a sound, they've had a message, and they've stayed on point because they have an amazing sound and an amazing message. But there are differences in the albums, and most notably, sort of Evil Empires kind of the outlier. I think generally considered, it's a bit it's the one that sort of sounds the most different compared to the other two. Is that fair? I th- to say? I, th- I think the Evil Empires got. A lot. It's darker in the sort of metal sense. It's lost. It, it doesn't have the funkiness of the first album. Yeah. It's a lot harder and and more metal like album compared to compared to the first one. But I love Evil Empire. I mean, it's it's this is why it's cool when a band say we don't change our sound. There's always going to be this natural evolution of a band, even if they say they're not going to change the sound or if they don't yeah. consciously do it. Of course, it's going to happen, but it happens in a really subtle way. But you're right. I think that that it stands apart from from their other albums, um, but in a great way. I I love the sound of it. There's, they've captured something really raw on Evil Empire that I don't think any of the other albums really get to. There's moments where Zach's vocals you can hear him really chewing the microphone. I love that. It's, it adds a real texture to it and. I think before we were talking there about how simple Bulls on Parade is, but it's through that simplicity. We didn't we didn't talk about it recording, but we yeah we talked about it before we started. So yeah, that that was going to be one of my comments. Yeah, it's just it's that simplicity of it. Now you go through that album, six tracks. The first six tracks of it are really raw, as if they they recorded one. It sounds like it's one mic in a room, but everything's perfectly balanced. But then down rodeo kicks in and it kind of brings back a bit of i don't know a bit of tech more sounds sort of in the background a bit more mixings involved but i don't know have, have any of you heard of the band the 68 no no so it's josh scrogan i'm gonna have butchered that surname basically this the original singer from norma jean that went on to the chariot oh yeah he then started a three-piece called the 68 and they do their recordings live in a room with them you know just mic'd up and that's what evil empire reminds me of just this absolutely balls to the wall fucking rough as anything but it sounds like it's meant to be rough it doesn't sound bad rough it sounds i think i think metal the most metal possibly but it's definitely got a it's got an edge to it that has made me realize that i fucking love evil empire it <laughs> For me, yeah. For me, it does sort of. I I think I hear what you're saying there, and it does sort of sound like the most sessiony of the albums. Like the guys just turned up and absolutely ripped the session room a new one and put it on tape and made that an album. Uh, it sort of has that sound for me. But Evil Empire also has probably my favorite Rage Against the Machine song on it, and you mentioned it, and it's Down Rodeo. That song is 
just comes out of nowhere and just punches and goes for the entire length of the song. Like, I think it's phenomenal. It, ironically, we're talking about Tom Morello's riffs and how great they are. I don't think... I, I, I don't even know what the down rodeo riff is. Like, it has that... It starts off with those chords and it follows... It really punches through with those chords and then it just has that mangled riff for the... I think it sounds... I think it's meant to sound like a machine gun. Like, it's... Uh, to me, because I'm rolling down rodeo with a shotgun... Da, 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 I always think of it sounds like a gun, like a drive-by shooting. Right, okay. I suppose it's also got one of my favourite lines, and it's uh, uh, these people haven't seen a, a, haven't seen a brown-skinned man since their grandparents bought one. Uh, that's a great like, line. Yeah. Fuck. Just punches. Ooh. Just punches so hard. It's, 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 I know where you're going to go with, where you're going to go with this later on, Lav, but for me, that's maybe my favourite Rage Against Machine song. Wow. I think that's hard for me Fair. to pick that, but I think one thing that's good on on down rodeo is there's points in that song where tom morell is doing his kind of stupid stuff which yeah. uh, again i'm gonna come back to this tom morello being an absolute maniac of a, of a guy <laughs> and yeah he can do some great riffs but he can also make a lot of stupid noises with his guitar that's just a bit ridiculous at times but the bass tone in uh, Down Rodeo at one point, I think it might be in the verse earlier on, like the bass just takes it all up, all this space. It's a fantastic bass tone. That's one thing that you can't... I mean, I, I, like Rage Against the Machine are like sort of like a hip-hop band in the sense that it's so unbelievably driven by the drums and the bass. And you've got Tom Morello can then have this freedom to do all these blippy-bloppy, waka-waka-waka stuff on top. But when he comes in with his riff... And it joins the bass. That's when, for me, Rage Against the Machine really start knocking walls down. I think that probably Down Rodeo's got a, 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 a both of that. They've got the big riff at the start that you mentioned, Keith, but then Tom Morello goes into the higher registers with some whammy thing or whatever it might be. And then it's the bass and drums and then the vocal that, that, that goes from it. But yeah, I would posit that Tom Morello's the least talented member of the band. <laughs> <laughs> Jinx. That's amazing. No, shots I, fired. Shot oh, across the bow, like that's a warning shot. No, I, I sort of maybe to go back to what you were saying as well. I, I sort of see where you're coming from because, in a sense, Tom has sort of stayed a little bit in the limelight. He obviously continued with with Audio Slave with a frontman like Chris Cornell. He's done Prophets of Rage. I think it's important to point out he is an actual activist. He's not a He's not a champagne socialist. He's not a, you know, he's he's very involved in in these activities. Like you say, it's it's hard to keep up sometimes, but he does sure. actually get his boots on the ground when he can. Sure, no, entirely. And, and the, the man's done more for 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 civil rights and and good good movements in general than I ever will. But what I mean is, he is he is still playing the game, and he is still on social media and he is still active through social media and stuff like that whereas if we were just going to draw a comparison to say Zach well Zach just went off and did his own thing he's not on social media he doesn't feel he needs that voice or to have his face in the public yeah. to to do the activism so, uh, so that that's where I see it is where you're coming from guys I think that's a really interesting distinction to make between the two of them I think that Zach's got his political message and he doesn't need all that attention he doesn't need all the social media you've got but Tom Morello you know he, he's done deals with Fender he's done this the, the masterclass thing recently the, the, uh, I don't know if you've seen that where it's like is it was it Fender or was it just a ma- 
he's definitely done deals with big manufacturers anyway, and that's not something for me, someone that's anti-capitalist would do. Um, I've watched some of his videos on YouTube. It's like, I've seen there's lots of different people, like Hans Zimmer was one of them, and one week it was like mixed with the masters or something like that, and Tom Morello's on it, and he just makes himself out to be this enigma. It's as if he wants to be viewed as this enigma, but he, he is that anyway. He doesn't need to remind us about it. You know, he's kind of, he's like, you know, when I was growing up, you know, I, I didn't... I didn't believe in politicians and I didn't believe in this. My life was written in the language of rock and roll. And Which is just, interesting given that his dad is the first Kenya's first ambassador to the United Nations. Yeah, I think they both have very political <laughs> backgrounds. Um, he's, he's a, Tom. I think one thing we have to really point out with Tom here is that he is university educated. Highly, you know, he's come from He's not come from the ground up. Let's he's he's had he's had a leg up. You know, you don't go to university in the what would have been the eighties without having something behind you. You you mean he's no. got a privileged background? He's he's got privilege. I'm, I'm not I'm not asking him to check it by any means because he's clearly he's put it to good use. Sure, but but I I think you know it's not like he was raised on the streets, shall we say? No. No, that that that's fair. I mean, I don't know enough about the man. I, I just sort of, I have made that distinction before, where I've always seen Tom in the limelight, and Zach stepped away from the time, limelight, and that's that's the sort of only comparison I can make. Although you're saying about like, just when you mentioned Fender guys, it just reminded me of um, a Game of Thrones theme song, and it's <laughs> Tom Morello. Oh yeah, that Scott is Ian, one of the most awful things ever. Yeah. It's, it's it's so cringing it's so cringeworthy it really is no i, I agree like when, he, when you do see him doing things like that it does sort of i just like what's the need why do that he doesn't need to do a deal with a guitar manufacturer or pedal manufacturer or anything like that he just doesn't need to why why is he doing that that's not nothing to do with activism or politics yeah no i agree i agree it, it, it is questionable yeah i've got yeah i've just there's a couple of question marks for me surrounded tom <laughs> <laughs> got it off. Glad we could get it off your chest. Yeah. <laughs> I think we need to quote the uh, he's the he's the least talented. <laughs> but you know what? That you could say that, but still, you know, you've got four very well, three very very talented guys. Um, I think I think that's like saying he's like the slowest out of the four fastest sprinters in the world. You know, yeah, oh, yeah. Be slower. Totally, absolutely, and he's he's a he is a vital member of the band, but uh, uh, he definitely is important. It's hard to say. They're all important as each other. Could you... But I think you could replace Tom Morello, but you... Well, you, you can't replace... You could replace him before you replace Zach. That's for sure. Well, they, they tried. It was called Prophets of Rage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, well, we, see, we, we know how that went down. No, I, and I remember you just... just We might as well finish off all, all four sort of vocals, drum, um, bass and whatever. The um, I think I remember talking to you guys one time whether you remember the conversation or not, I don't know, but maybe we were still in high school or maybe I was still in high school and I said something like, oh, I think I might try and do like a band for the school talent show or something like that and I'm going to play drums. And you stifled your laughter, which which humoured me, which was great. But one thing I remember you saying was, you know, again with the sort of, the, the what we were talking about, the riffs of Rage Against Machine, is the drums of Rage Against Machine as well aren't particularly complicated but they're solid and they provide that that solid backing that you're saying that the, the drums and bass sort of bring into the songs that while again they might not be particularly complicated 
they are the backbone of of every song and they are consistent throughout every song as far as I'm concerned like the Brad is is a phenomenal drummer oh yeah absolutely um and that's what I, lo- I love I, I'm not a fan of flashy musicians at all I, I don't like fast flashy guitar players particularly and that's what I love about 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 Brad Wilk on the drums he's um, he only plays what needs to be played he's got such an incredible groove but it's yeah. still hard to play like that you know it's still hard to play these slow tempos you know it's and and keep that steady prowling stalking type tempo all the time but no what a f- absolutely phenomenal drummer i love i love him it's definitely one of my favorite drummers brad also reminds me a little bit of the um incubus drummer uh, jose pasalis where they both look incredibly uncomfortable behind the kit do you know like I, okay. I don't i don't know if I, I don't know if anyone understands what i'm trying to say there but like jose pasalis and brad book they while being outstanding drummers both never look particularly natural sitting behind the kit you know you'll have some guys and yeah they'll be doing stick flips and and doing whatever else you can do behind a drum kit but they just always look like they're sort of sat a little bit odd to me i think he's got his uh I think he's just doing doing what needs to be done. He's playing along. He's smashing out a rhythm. Yeah, I'm not saying uh, you have to flip the sticks and and do a Joey Jordison and flip your drum kit through you know 360 degrees. You know, the, the it, clearly a no nonsense drummer. But just just personally for me, whenever I see him play, it just kind of always looks like he's doing a bit of a an uncomfortable shuffle. <laughs> uh, no, I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I don't know. It doesn't seem to doesn't seem to affect, but. It sounds like though, absolutely not. <laughs> Whereas there's a drummer I've I've highlighted before, and I think he's one of the most disappointing drummers I've ever listened to on record, and that is John Otto from Limbiscuit. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute most boring, fucking bland, cut copy paste fucking drummer. Literally, they could have just replaced him with a sample machine. Brad Wilk, I think, brings so much to the sound just like the other guys do that just makes it just hit hard i don't know whether it's again i don't know whether it's in the recording or the production or just his his playing style but he absolutely smashes the shit out of his kit and it fucking comes through yeah Yeah, i think it's a bit of everything to be honest i think that um you need that's a role of a good producer is going to take what a musician's doing and and just add a little bit more around it and you know play to their strengths um i suppose but yeah fantastic fantastic drummer so gonna have to talk about timmy c now yeah i'll talk about timmy c all day what do you want to talk about yeah absolutely yeah like i think controversial figure if you see him i think it's like i just always think the cam like a bomb little bass line is the coolest yeah it's just it's so melodic and it's just such a fantastic wee line and also he plays his bass up high uses his fingers like he's a bass player's bass player now he doesn't have a plectrum or any of that kind of stuff but yeah i absolutely love him as um he's he's better than tom morello as a musician probably but as a personality I have a feeling he would be the type of person that I just walk away from in a conversation. It's interesting. I don't know much about him as a person. 
I know all about Tom Morello as a person, that's for sure. Zach's a bit more private, maybe as a... I don't know. You'll have to enlighten me. He thinks the moon landings are faked. Oh, I'm disappointed. Exactly. Yeah. See, I knew it. It's yeah. like just that alone. Like, oh, he thought he thinks ISIS wasn't real. Oh, come and on. His, and his reason is because the videos were too good quality. Lav, stop destroying my 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 I'm sorry. years of learning bass guitar. I, like, there's a reason I call him Tim Nice But Dim, right? He's just not. He's a great bassist as a musician. He is fucking ten out of ten. If I was starting a band tomorrow, I think he would probably be in my top pick to have a bassist. But, but as a personality, nah, leave it at the door. I hope he can, because he's just, he's a, self, a self-described conspiracy theorist. It's like he wants to not critically think about anything. Oh, no. It's a shame. You just, you just shouldn't find out about your heroes. Uh, <laughs> when, I was, <laughs> when I was a young kid... Uh, Tom Morell didn't know anything about him, and I, he was just the coolest, the coolest guy ever. I didn't know how he was making the sounds on his guitar. I didn't know how he was doing all this stuff. And the more I learned, in many ways, the less I liked him. And uh, unfortunately, it's, yeah, it's the same <laughs> with uh, with uh, with Tim Bob. Physically as well, I'm just I'm just looking at the guy. I've, I've given him a quick googs because I just wanted to double check with Fenders he plays, but he has. I think he's mostly a, a jazz bass bassist. And that's why I actually bought a bass in 2020. Uh, I sh- I've always wanted a bass because uh, I've played guitar, but that was one of the reasons I bought the jazz bass. I looked up him. I was like, what does he use? Just buy because I didn't know anything about basses really. So I just thought, right, uh, what, what does he use? And that's why I bought it. <laughs> yeah, he used the jazz bass from 95 to 2007. Uh, he switched to uh, Lackland in 2008. 2016 and since 2016 he's been playing music mans he's been playing a stingray yeah Yeah. i saw that um i remember reading that i'm not a fan of them myself but well hard to argue with his sound as someone who well he's never recorded with a stingray sorry as a music man so as someone prophet of rage i've never listened to it so as someone who tried a, a, a music man in a music shop at some point in Edinburgh at some point in my life and for a, a swift half an hour and didn't enjoy it yeah I'm not a music man uh, fucking what are they called Stingray thank you Stingray's fan myself but I have always wanted a Fender Jazz but I want the Fender Jazz 5 string and Ooh. the American Fender 5s are quite expensive so yet to add one of them to my collection 5 string uh, why do you want the 5 string Keith I just like it, guys. I just like having that optional B if I wanted to go down there. Option, see, like, optional see, B. Like fenders, yeah. fenders, like your your vintage. Like you need to stick with. The, I would go with like I don't know, like Ibanez if you want the five string or something. I have an Ibanez five string. Apparently the, the oh right, okay. The, although the neck is, oh, I can't believe I'm going to admit this on the podcast. The the neck is kinked. I took it to go get set up because I had just butchered trying to like reset it up because no, no. <laughs> I hadn't, hadn't had it touched in years so I took it to a technician and they were like I've done this oh no there was a rattle in the neck that's why so took it to a technician to try and set it up for me and he's like I've done this I've got rid of most of the rattle but have a look down the neck and look at the 12th fret and I'm like alright holy shit and there is just like a dink in the oh, neck so, <laughs> so, you've got a, a bowed neck it's it's not even bowed it's like a step Oh like God. It, it it doesn't it doesn't bow like the length of the neck. You get to the, the, the sort of between sort of ten and twelve, it just goes dunk. 
And, oh, then, no. and that's why I've got a bit of a rattle. So that's if anyone's ever going to buy that bass off me, it sounds amazing. <laughs> I bet it does. I bet it does. <laughs> so, yeah, but no, like t- Timmy C. So I started playing bass when I was like 14, 15. I think I got a, a rip-off P bass that cost me like £120 from Guitar Guitar and Kerstarfin. And With an amp. No, I, no? I, I got the amp from a friend of mine. He lent me, he had he, he had gone from bass to guitar. And so he gave me the amp. He, it was just like a crappy little PA amp from our high school's music department, which he technically stole. But anyway, I took that and that was it. I just got as many bass tabs to Rage Against the Machine as I could and started learning Rage Against the Machine. And that was my my entrance into to, to starting to play music. And then I got a big muff and things just got weird that's how it's done totally uh, i had like i said i had my my first my first guitar was a, a yamaha like not a pacifica but close enough and then i got uh epiphone les paul mm-hmm. and the epiphone les paul i could do the switch so i could get that sound that tom morello has so at the beginning of know your enemy that yeah you could you can do that staccato sort of thing with your with your hand. So while playing with left hand, using your right hand to like tap that that uh, pickup switch, you could emulate that sound. So I learned to do that, and then I had this multi effects pedal, which was like had four pedals and an expression pedal. So I could I could be my hero. I could I could emulate the sound, and uh, I broke it at uni, which was fucking disappointing <laughs> stood on it I got i had it set up in my room my, my my room at uni had it all set up and i must have stood on it when i was pissed probably and uh ended up breaking one of the inputs it was definitely meant for studio work it was never designed for use <laughs> in a live setting this this multi-effects pedal if anyone ever had a a korg ax 1500g tell me about your experience did yeah. you break yours at uni when you were pissed or did you DMs. manage to Slide, slide us a wee DM and tell me, did you manage to replicate the sound of your heroes like Kirk Hammett and Tom Morello? <laughs> I, I think I've always frowned upon uh, multi-effects pedals from a guitar playing point of view. They can be fun to muck about on. Uh, like They're a fun toy, but like you say, not live. And if I ever came across bands where the guitar player was using a multi-effects, I immediately wouldn't, you know. I stripped like... <laughs> back my, my sound quite significantly to... Literally, I just use a tube screamer. Nice. That's I used that in a DSL one hundred. That was my, that was my sound when I was playing uh, in a hardcore punk band. That's all you need. That's all you need if it's hardcore punk. It's like guitar, distortion, amp, done. Yeah, I I dabbled in effects for bass, but you don't really get a lot of bass effects. I mean, I, I had a distortion, I had a phaser. Why did I have a phaser on a bass? I don't know. Uh, I bought a combi amp that had sort of inbuilt effects. Again, never did anything with them, fucked around with them live occasionally, but that was it. Uh, and then I just settled on distortion and a chorus. I think all bass players mm. should have a chorus. Oh. Did you have a compressor? I did for a while. It's usually quite a... A lot of bass players use a compressor. Yeah, I, I did for a while... Uh, and then I don't think I really, I mean, you don't, you don't really need a compressor when you're just blaring out 10 minute grunge songs at 
Henry Seller bar, do you guys? So no, I just, <laughs> I just meant it. <laughs> I was like, you can, we'll just, you're, you're an extra patch cable we don't need. I'll just take you out, pal, and then yeah. we'll, we'll just, we'll just keep everything from there. So kind of getting us back on track here. We've, we've, we've dive, divulged, <laughs> moved away from that. We're going to go back onto Rage Against the Machine. So we've talked about the, the rawness, metallicness sound of, of Evil Empire. And then they came back in 1999 with the Battle of Los Angeles. Yeah. Which is probably my least favourite of the first three. Agreed. Agreed. But not in a bad... Again, it's it's like picking the the slowest sprinter in a 100 metre. They all... Yeah. First, second and third. They all did it in 10 seconds, but I think that, one of them was just a teeny bit better. Did you not think that Guerrilla Radio was such a poor... Like, they, you know how, like, Bills on Parade was, like, a single... And what a, that is a, an incredible song and what a single it was. It was on, I remember watching it on Top of the Pops. I'm sure it was the same time Prodigy had released Firestarter. There was like Firestarter and Bulls on Parade were in the charts. That's just crazy. It just would never happen anymore. One thing to be alive. But Guerrilla Radio, yeah, totally. Um, Guerrilla Radio, I think, they, I don't know, they've went for a bit of a single on that one. And, uh, you know, it lacks the normal edge, the lyrical edge. Maybe the whole album feels like it's just missing something, and Gorilla Radio is a great example. And yet, ironically, the same producer. Do you mean missing something sonically though, Lab, or missing something else like a bit, little... a bit of lots of little things? I think that as an album, it's it's a stand-up great album. You know, it's a solid eight out of ten, and I'll leave it on and listen to it. But if I was listening to Rage Against the Machine, like I have been this week from start to finish it has the first skippable track like i will i will skip mic check i fucking can't stand that song yeah mic check's a bit of a a bit of a weird one and and gorilla radio i'll take it for what it is it was gorilla radio i'll give it is is uh buoyed by a lot of nostalgia for me so i can I, i struggle to to let that one go but i i do see it as being quite a poppy song would that be a yeah uh, description? Yeah, I and I, I think that they kind of went for that. It's, it's like, yeah, it's it's quite, it's not commercial, but it's as commercial as Rage Against the Machine would get. I think the whole album's got that sort of feel about it. Sleep now in the fire again, a great song, a video, very directed video. by Michael Moore. Yeah, um, you know, wonderful message. Again, it's just. It's 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 a bit too like jazz. It's jazzy. There's there's probably the word I can describe. And it's there's not a lot of funk. There's the heaviness isn't as present, especially when you've gone from Evil Empire. If they'd done if the if these two albums were in a different order, if you had the the self titled, then Battle of Los Angeles, and then Evil Empire, I, I do wonder what what that universe would would be like because I think they have. I think Evil Empire feels like the odd one out, whereas if they'd done it in the other order, I think it would have been a bit more of a smooth transition. I'd almost reverse that. They could have released Battle Los Angeles first. Hmm. And then maybe had your Rage Against the Machine and then Evil Empire. If they, you know, as a sort of progression of... Because you're right, you're, you're, I think you've both hit the nail on the head. There is a sort of sheen to Battle Los Angeles that doesn't exist on the other two albums, especially coming off the back of, of Evil Empire. I don't... Yeah, Gorilla Radio, Sleep Down the Fire, they are certainly more commercially viable songs. I think also because they were literally 
more accessible at the time. They're, they're sort of the songs and the videos I remember more clearly getting played on your Kerrangs and your MTV2s and stuff like that. You know, they weren't playing Killing in the Name of, or Killing in the Name at, you know, 3pm on a Tuesday. Mm. No. Because, because of, of the lyrical content. But Guerrilla Radio and Sleeping in the Fire were just the videos they played and especially Sleeping Out in the Fire you had the Michael Moore video you had them shutting down Wall Street you know they had you had the text that came up at the beginning you know telling them what they did and stuff like or sorry at the end so they were maybe they're just the overplayed rage songs that we're sort of all a bit bored of I, I, I also just wonder if like you know Zach had basically said what he wanted to say about his, the political side of things. I don't think there's quite as much in the lyrical content of Battle of Los Angeles from the political... It's, just, it's not anything new or not anything different. Um, yeah. It's just maybe a slightly diluted version of what was already there. And, you know, yeah. like New Millennium Homes. It's got a great riff, but it's like... It's a, it's a good riff, but it's not... It doesn't blow my mind like Vietnam or something like that. Yeah, um, I mentioned "Come Like a Bomb" earlier, which I which I think is an absolutely brilliant track. I think that for me is the best song on that album by quite a quite a long way. But it's just a slightly more diluted version, both lyrically and maybe a little bit too nice on the production side of things. And yeah, it just doesn't quite have the edge and danger of the first two for somehow. Danger. That's a- Good way of putting it, yeah, I like that. I find the last two tracks are the wrong way around. I think Ashes in the Fall should be the closing track. And I think it's got one of like that was the lyric that I read out earlier, but the priest that that's from Ashes in the Fall. And I think the the build up for that song is and it's just the release when it finally explodes inside that and it's just so much anger and rage just pours out right after it's all built up to all this this sort of weird like weird guitar tones and then it just bursts into this amazing riff and bass sort of a song that if it was recorded in 1996 it could have belonged on evil empire i suppose i feel that should have been the ending song um war within a breath is okay but yeah there's there's tracks on here which it's the first time a Rage Against the Machine album has filler tracks, I would say. Yeah. I think Ashes in the Fall is a classic example of like really annoying guitar part from Tom Morello, I think. Especially when it comes into the vocal and he just has this... It's... Lots of oh, reverbs love it. and things like that on the top of it. And I, I just always... I just think it's stupid. I think it sounds stupid. But you can hear someone... Like, it lets the bass come through so much mm-hmm. and you can hear that kind of side of things but I don't know I sometimes and I'm probably I sometimes listen to it and just like I, I just imagine Tom Morello just being on a tube and like just making all these stupid noises and it's like Tom I, I imagine the rehearsal room it's like Tom go and just just stop making all that ridiculous noise he's, you know? he's the drummer at practice it's <laughs> like Right, we're, we're going to do a mic tag. Right, everyone shut up. He's the one doing it. We're weird, 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 weird. And it's like, all right, Tom, we know you're in tune. We're just trying to get the, the like, shit set up. Here, here comes Tom's bit, right? Okay, Tom has his bit. <laughs> has have a stupid, like, well, let Tom do his bit, right? Okay, let's get back to the what, what the rest of us are who doing. Do you th- who do you think takes longer to set up? Brad Wilk or Tom Morello? <laughs> You know, setting up a drum kit or set up Tom Morello's pedal board. Do you, but do you know what, actually, Keith? It's, it's maybe not... He doesn't have as many pedals as you might think. 
Um, it's and it's I think he actually does really keep his guitar rig reasonably simple. And he also told the, the the worst story about how he got his guitar tone. Apparently, he had um, all his gear and it got stolen. And I don't know if this was around at the time. Maybe they were recording the first album, and they basically went. He went and bought a Marshall head and a cab, and he set the amp up. And then he said he couldn't get it to sound like how he wanted it, so he just left it and never thought about it again. And that was his story. And I was like, "That's, that's a weird story about a great guitar tone." This is when he was living with Adam Jones, who you know went on to form Tool and then met and met Maynard James Keenan and stuff. So I'm trying to think of the social circles he's living in. And he's like, oh, I've got this amp. Never touched it. <laughs> that's that's one thing we've not even mentioned. Let's take it back to Rage Against the Machine and the fact that James Maynard fucking... Maynard Keenan, James Keenan. Come on, Keith. Whatever his fucking name is, is on Know Your Enemy. <laughs> that is... I think, from, from, from looking at my notes here, the only vocal guest on any Rage Against the Machine song is Maynard James Keenan. And he fucking rips it as well. I love it. I don't, I don't get why he's there. If I'm honest, it's just a big, big, long, elongated scream, isn't it? No, he's, I'm not going to try and impersonate it because I'll just destroy myself. Uh, this my is this is past me by. What track are you talking about? He's on "Know Your Enemy." Track six, "Know Your Enemy." Know Your Enemy. I yeah. Know. So the, the it's after the core after like the big breakdown. There's just this big. That's, and you still did it. <laughs> I just did it. That's Maynard James Keenan for you from Tool. Ah, well, there you go. Because man. they were so him. Tom Morello was friends with Adam Jones from high school. Adam Jones, who was then by that point a successful visual artist, on he did like Terminator Two and things. He was CGI on four, and then went on to join Tool as a guitarist with with Maynard and. Tom Morello was sort of in the middle of this. They were just all in like the same. I think I'm sure they were flatmates at one point. Him and Adam Jones. So uh. yeah, and and I guess Maynard was just in the region, and much like, and I'm pretty sure it's the same story as Maynard turning up for Deftones' White Pony. He was just in the area. In the he was room. just in the studio uh, at the time, okay, and they were yeah. like, "You want to join us?" He, he has he has more he has more than just that screaming line. He he is the sort of backing vocal for that sort of bridge. So I've got no patience now. So sick of complacence now. I've got no oh, patience yeah, now. Talk the, yeah, the spoken word bit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and it's time has come to, and the 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 bellowing lyric is the word pay. But again, the only as far as I'm aware, the only guest vocal on a Rage Against the Machine song, and it was Maynard James Keenan. Well, I have Worthy. learned something new about Rage Against the Machine. Well, two things new. The bass player's a maniac, and uh, <laughs> there was one guest vocalist. That's cool. So, wait, you've listened to that album all this time and not realised there was a guest vocal on that song. No, I just thought, I just didn't it was Zach. <laughs> I, I never really thought about it, to be honest. Uh, are you a Tool fan at all? No. Well, that would that'd be why, then. That'd, that'd I, be I guess so, yeah. I, I, I don't... I don't no, I'm not. I don't dislike Tool particularly, but I never listened to much of them. No, fair. I mean, I, I don't think I was a Tool fan at the time either. I think I knew him from Perfect Circle. Yeah. So we've covered Battle Los Angeles, and we've. We, I think we've all had a had an agreement that it's probably our least favorite. I do want to say because I'd say so. As as you guys were sort of ripping through the songs, if if I may say, there was the the songs that you didn't mention 
are also sort of some of my favourite songs on that album. So I think Testify is a jam. I think yep. Born of a Broken Man is a jam. Born as Ghosts. And yeah, no, actually, it was sort of Ashes in the Fall, More Within a Breath. I, I, I do still quite like those songs. But yeah, Testify and Born as Ghosts and Born of a Broken Man. Ooh, choice. Choice riffs. Uh, Born of a Broken Man's a great riff. Uh, that, is, that is a great song. Drop D. I like that. I remember liking that when that, the album came out. Yeah, that's a fair point, Keith. I like it's how I like how slow it is, and I guess it just shows that doesn't it isn't all about speed, but it's just got this groove and rhythm to it. That's the the born of a broken man because that and it's and it's when it slows down and then you get that gated sound and then it kicks back in full volume. I fucking love that. Love I mean, that I think that's that for me. has been Tom Morello's doing his best work. You know, when he's not, when he's not mucking around too much with, uh, you when know, he's gated. <laughs> <laughs> when he's not sticking a, a, a lead in his ear to see if that makes a funny <laughs> noise. Um, you know, he's just playing a great riff and it's, you know, like it's, yeah. it reminds me a bit of like Johnny Greenwood in creep, right? Where he goes, it was like, yeah. It was, I think, no, every guitar player thought, why did I not think of that? Because it, it, it's just such an effective way to bring in a guitar part. And I think the way that Tom Morello does that percussiveness at that point, it just makes that riff. And it's a really, it's a fantastic riff. And that, I know I've I've slagged him a bit today, but you can't, he's, he is still an amazing, amazing musician and he can dish out a riff probably. He's probably the best riff creator of, it's hard to be him and Jimmy Page and all. You know, Jimmy Page wrote some great riffs, but he is—he's up there. No, definitely. I think we have. To, uh, speaking of the creativeness of the band, I think that's where it leads quite nicely into Renegades, the cover album, because they absolutely tore these songs apart and rebuilt them brick by brick. Like there's so little similarities in most of these songs. I think other than like. Kick Out the Jams, which was originally by MC5, and In My Eyes, which is a minor threat song. The rest of them don't sound anything like their originals. I thought Renegades of Funk was their own song. I didn't realise that was... I didn't, I thought they'd recorded that for... Oh, no, no. It's Honestly, if you hear the original, it's like a, um 80s um, hip-hop. Because it's yeah. African Bombata, so it's... It's got loads of like really cheesy synth and like really like overly um uh what's the word uh, overly done drums like really really like you have to listen to it to to really understand but um the the other than the lyrics which is the only thing that they basically kept the same all the songs got completely reworked by Tom and Tim by the sounds of things. Yeah, I'm not particularly familiar on on the recording. They had had they recorded this and then broke up, or did they sort of do this after the breakup and Zach just agreed? Uh, it was released in December two thousand, and it was recorded between April and September of two thousand. I mean, if we think that the the original breakup in would have been around this time. Yeah, October eighteenth, two thousand. Uh, Zach Della Rocha released a statement announcing his departure from the band. He said that I feel it is now necessary to leave Rage because our decision-making process... I mean, this is a completely different kettle of fish. But yeah, the the, the band utterly 
dismantled internally. They completely fell apart internally, and ultimately it, it resulted in, in Zach leaving. And I'm wondering if this album, whether there was some song choices, whether they they weren't happy doing a cover album, who knows? I I just think it's quite telling how after like Tom Morello continued to to just be like Rage Against the Machine. He continued just doing the same old stuff and Zach wanted to do other things. I think that you can tell there was a, a massive difference between them two creatively. Uh, yeah. Just what he, wanted, what, what he went on to do. But I think that Renegades, uh, what a genius album. I guess you could say that the blueprint for it was the ghost of Tom Jode. Um, because that's really what they did. That's a Bruce Springsteen song and then they completely just turned it on its head and that's exactly what they did. But I don't know who was responsible for the reworking of it. I suspect Tom, Tom's obviously written the riffs. And from there, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like they've, they've written Rage Against the Machine songs because that's how they would, the writing process would have probably been Tom writing riffs. But um, yeah, just try to, I think Zach's just used the lyrics of these songs over the top of them somehow. But it's a very interesting, you know, I don't know the exact ins and outs of how they did it. It's a good collection of songs. I think it's a it spans, you know, a good a good load of different genres. So I'm wondering if maybe a few band members have picked different things. So before joining Rage Against the Machine, um, Zach he was in a hardcore punk band, mm-hmm. and then they've gone and done a Minor Threat song and MC Five, which I mean Minor Threat in my eyes is just a straight up hardcore punk song. There's there's so, and and it basically gets recreated note for note in this example, but then you know then two tracks later, you're doing a Bruce Springsteen song. So that's all the influence. I think each each artist has brought their own influences in. So there's some hip hop, some funk. There's there's a Devo song in there, which sounds nothing like the original, and which is probably the one I'm like, Beautiful World. Um, I don't like the Rage Against the Machine one. I'll be honest. The the Devil version, the original is actually completely fine. Yeah, I mean you've got you've got how I could just kill a man as well, and then you've got Bob Dylan mm-hmm. to, to to boot like the the variety. Oh, of... Just remembered the riff in Maggie's Farm. Yeah, that's that's an absolute belter, isn't it? I mean, and like it like the 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 original, you know, Bob Dylan song to turn it into that. This is very cool. And uh, Rolling Stones as well, Street Fighting Man. No, yep. Is that yeah? Yeah. 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 Um, Stooges down on the street, Bruce Springsteen, how uh, the ghost of Tom Jode, Cypress Hill, how I could just kill a man, which is basically a straight cover. It's it's great. I, I it, there's there's the beginning of Prophets of Rage right there. Unfortunately for you, Volume Ten, Pistol Grip Pump. That is a, that's one of those songs that I'm not allowed to listen to in the car because I feel like I'm the character in Office Space. Right. Um, Michael Bolton when he's he's listening to like he, um like heavy grime hardcore hip hop in in the traffic and like someone pulls up next to him and he has to turn it down. Mumbling away. Is pistol grip prompt your like driving wheel drum song? Are you, are you just no, it's it's the, it's the one that I know too many words to. <laughs> I'm not allowed to. Oh man, I I. <laughs> bellow out the tunes when i'm alone in the car like i i'm a i'm a shower and or car singer and i'm amazing thank you very much <laughs> take your word for it or so i like to think yeah like renegades is do you know what i've just realized because 
as you said, it started with the ghost of Tom Jode. And I was like, well, what did you mean by that? It was released in 1997. And I was not aware of that. I thought these songs were sort of done at the same time and released collectively. I wasn't aware Ghost of Tom Jode predates the release of Renegades by yeah, know, and, and I, th- I think two years, three years. I think that was very early though, because the, the VHS that I mentioned, no, that does have. Yeah, no, I was going to say that was around the time of their first album, but there's, I think it had like the video of, I can't remember this. Um, hold on, it had yeah, bullet in the head. No, that was the first album, wasn't it? It had the bullet in the head video on it. But anyway, this VHS. Um, had the live performance of Ghost of Tom Jode, and it was like it was very, it was kind of early stages of Rage Against the Machine. Um, so I think right. that Ghost of Tom Jode's been, I mean, maybe they released it in '97, but I think that that's been around since the beginning, actually. Maybe just a mutual song for them. That's something they sort of worked on together and jammed out. Uh, it's it's interesting as well in that song specifically, but also across the 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 album, you don't just hear Zach rap like he does have a bit of a, of a singing vocal as well like oh singing slash maybe spoken word a little bit but i think he does do a bit more singing on this album than than he has done previously yeah yeah almost he's all, almost almost breaking into singing on the ghost of tom jode but definitely a bit of spoken words yeah maybe maybe more so spoken word than it was singing It'd be interesting to see, like, I don't know if they, they maybe they re-recorded the Ghost of Tom Jode for Renegades, because certainly from a production point of view, it kind of fits in with everything else, but it wouldn't surprise me if that was re-recorded in that session. I think a lot of covers do get recorded during, I'm just speaking from from what I've watched, when you watch like bands warming up, they use a cover to perhaps just warm up when they're in the studio, just to have something to link into they, they all know the song they can just set up their instruments and it's the first song they play just to get into the rhythm and the groove and it might be one that they did for songwriting purposes who knows just to get into that let's just play a song we all know it we all know the words bash that out they ended up recording it shelving it keeping it and then three years later making an album it's like you know what it would fit on this album as well and i think that's how a lot of b-sides work as well is you know it's recorded alongside an album here you go, here you go, guys. Cheeky little Google, and this is what you get. The Ghost of Tom Jones. The song was recorded by American rock band Rage Against the Machine. The release of the song was initially included as a free single, which shipped with an early release of VHS version of their 1997 home video. I don't know if that's the the VHS you have. Yeah, yeah, that's that is the one. Yeah, because it came with a um, yeah, it came with a single. So because I just noticed it was. It's Brendan O'Brien that's down as the producer. Even on Renegades, he's he produced that track, and the rest of it was uh, Rick Rubin and the band. Yeah. So yeah, th- there you go. It was. So that was re- that was the '97 version. Yep. Yeah. Impressive. Cool. All the singles from Renegades were released posthumously. If that well, like we discussed with last week with Blink One Eight Two, after the band had had split, or at least after Zach had left all the songs were released afterwards so they, they probably very rarely got to perform these songs after the album came out until they reformed in 2007 that's a yeah. really good point because Renegades of Funk has a video but the only single listed as a release on the Wikipedia page is Ghost of Tom Jode mm. yeah so they no so they re-released that 
No, it just got released as a song. It was it was it was released as a video, but it was never released as a as a for sale single. Oh, of um, course, right, because it oh, came no, with we... VHS. Was it Renegades mm-hmm. of Funk or Microphone Fiend that had the? That was Renegades of Funk because it had the sort of the video was sort of cut together like footage of just like you know different cartoons Riots. and and <laughs> yeah and then that sort of stuff. Yeah, I don't know how I could just. Kill. I think this is. I think there might have been a mistake on the on the Wikipedia page because uh, How I Could Just Kill a Man got released as a single. Um, and that was... The song was released as a single. The Rage Against the Machine performed the song on their DVD live at the Grand Olympic Auditorium accompanied by Cypress Hill as well. Wow. And that, that reached... That was chart, that charted. So I think someone needs to update that Wikipedia page. Are you up to the task? <laughs> Interestingly, on their Spotify, they don't have any singles apart from something called Universal City 93, a live KROQ broadcast. Um, but they don't have any other singles Yeah, on Spotify, anyway. It's all albums. Yeah, there's yeah EPs and singles. There's, there's just that. That's interesting. I wonder why they've done that. So... I've mentioned that I've seen Rage Against the Machine. Has anyone else physically seen Rage Against the Machine? No, and I've got... I can blame the pandemic for it. Fuckers. <laughs> I know. I was. I mentioned to you earlier, Keith, before we started recording, I was in New York in 2019. Mm-hmm. And the, the guy I went to see over there, we both know him, John, had, um, after that trip, he told me, he bought me Rage Against the Machine tickets for Madison Square Gardens. I think it was meant to be 2020. And uh, that I had the tickets, and this is how close I came. And hadn't even booked the plane yet, but we had the Rage Against Machine tickets. And sadly, uh, never worked out. Well, it's on that then. Just to talk about their their current world tour, it's supposed to be a world tour, or at least that's that's what I sort of read previously. It was rescheduled due due to the pandemic. It is now looking like twenty twenty two, but on their website. There is only the US dates, but I have read it's a world tour. They they, they are going. I mean, to, to be fair, it's the US dates do take them up to the fourteenth of August. So yeah, sure, maybe you're, you're not going to put every single one on, but it's yeah from thirty first of March to the fourteenth of August. They're playing the US. A world tour oh, of America. One, two, three, four. There's five. The last five dates are Madison Square Garden. But I was a bit pissed at that when I read, oh yeah, they're doing a world tour and then I went to the website to see the world tour and it's America and Canada. Maybe there's more to come. I hope there's more to come. Otherwise, I'm going to be pissed. I'd, I'd, I'd like to go and see, I'd like to see them at least once. I definitely need to, I need to see them. I absolutely need to see them. They're such an important band. It can, I'd be devastated not to see them. So they've, they've played the UK a few times since sort of the, the, the Reformation in, in 2007. I was lucky enough to see them in 2009 at Tina Park. I did briefly discuss it during the the Audio Slave episode, but I, I've done Tina Park like loads of times. What, seven or eight times I've been to Tina Park? Numerous campings or just Davis or, or whatever. But... When Rage Against Machine were, and I was pretty much done by this point. By two thousand seven, I was done with Tina Park. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd aged out of their of their demographic. But when Rage Against Machine were playing, I was going, and that was it. I had a day ticket for the Saturday for Rage Against Machine, and I turned up 
uh, I don't know, like three, four o'clock in the evening. I was or afternoon. I was so nonchalant about it. I didn't even care about the festival because mm-hmm. to me it was just a Rage Against the Machine gig. And yeah. to this day, I can still remember being like, had I been standing next to a US embassy, I would have set it on fire because that's what Zach Delarosa told me to do. I was so hooked by the performance of the band and by Zach Delarosa's crowd control that I'll never forget it. It was. I, you know, I can remember them kicking off and, and I was just like, this, I can't remember exactly what song they started off with, but I can just so clearly remember, you know, starting starting the pogo, starting the mosh pit. It's just starting, it's just starting going around and I'm like, this is fucking, this is it. This is Raising its Machine. Two years ago earlier, I'd seen the band plus Chris Cornell, Audio Slave, but now here I was with Zach De La Rocha and it was, uh, it was phenomenal. Must have been. I think I think I considered that gig, uh, and for the same reasons as you, Keith, I was just going to go as a, and treat it as a raise against the machine gig. I can't remember why I didn't go. Probably I was just too put off by the rest of the team the part lineup that year. Yeah. So I can't remember what it would have been, but it was probably pretty awful. It was getting it was getting really bad by then. I think. No, absolutely. The um... so it was after then though. This what so that was what two thousand seven. You say, Keith? That was two thousand two thousand nine. I saw them. So was that before or after Rage Factor? So, Rage Factor. We touched on it before we started recording, didn't we? Are you guys familiar with this? No, I am now. <laughs> you are now. So this is... And I, I remember taking part in this as well. You know, I, I, I was... Me too. I, it's, my I, one, it's my one Rage Against the Machine song I own on iTunes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is where for... I mean... We, we do have listeners to the podcast, thankfully, and the listeners may be familiar with X Factor or. Oh, is this when they got Rage Against Machine to Christmas number one? Yeah, this is dubbed X X Factor. So oh, okay, it was a uh, it was just a, 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 a one good thing that you could say has come from Facebook was Rage Factor, where someone started a group to say, like, f- fuck all these. X Factor Christmas number ones. It's you know it's killing the music industry. It's it's an abomination to music. It's just it's just shit that these you know it's it's almost a guarantee now that if you're an X Factor winner you will get the Christmas number one. So they started this campaign to get Raising His Machine a Christmas number one, and it worked. Killing in the name was Christmas UK Christmas number one two thousand and nine. Yeah. So they performed it on Christmas Day or whenever it would have been. <laughs> For the BBC, and they, they they were like, it was like nine o'clock in the morning, and it's like, what what did you expect would happen? Yeah. So apparently they weren't going to swear. They were told no swearing, and the band went all right then. Yeah, <laughs> like I remember literally that. within about within about two minutes of the song starting, they were like, well, we have to move away from that. We're very sorry <laughs> for the swearing. I'm, I'm <laughs> sure you. I'm sure you it's hear the producer. Brilliant. The, I'm sure you can hear the producer go cut it at one point. Uh, yeah. Because he's but exactly what did they expect? Did they think they were going to get them on and not? Are they going to censor them? If they'd have censored themselves, that would have been really bad. No. Oh, I know. And I think they did for a little bit. I think this is where they were like, they... yeah. I think it, it was at the end of the song, wasn't it? Yeah, it was right towards the end. You could hear the produ- the producer could see it coming. He's just like, <laughs> cut it now. <laughs> there is there is also that. So that's the second time that's happened then because so killing in the name was in the UK top 40 in 1993 and the BBC Radio 1 it wasn't a live performance 
the actual radio show accidentally played the explicit version in 1993 and I think from what I've read they played the whole thing and there is just the note that it's, it, it contains the word fuck 17 times <laughs> <laughs> so you know just just to just to know that that happened on the BBC just makes me so happy <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's very funny. It's a very funny video to watch if anyone anyone wants to search that one on YouTube. It's uh, again, it's just what the fuck did you think was going to happen? Yeah, well, from <laughs> from Rage Factor, what they pro- they promised if I think they would have done it anyway because the, the sales were quite high. It was five hundred thousand sales were involved, so they beat the X Factor contestant, if you can call them a contestant, by fifty thousand sales. So I think it was 500,000 to 550,000. So they quite quite unanimously won the, the the toss, and they said we'll do a free show. Well, we you know you guys have got us here. We'll donate the 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 earnings from the sales to to good causes, and with it we'll come and do a free show. And they did. They played Finsbury Park. They played Finsbury Park on the sixth of June two thousand ten. Yeah. No, I didn't get to go to that show. I put my name in because it was a ballot. You had to sort of register. You had to put a picture in so that you weren't. So they they tried to avoid touting uh, or scalpers, and yeah, I just I just didn't get there in the ballot. I know a few people who went in the end, but yeah, they because of that they, they put on a free show. So so good on them. Yep, definitely that's good. That's uh, that is a cool thing to do. With support from Gogol Bardillo, Gallows, and Roots Maneuver. Gallows. Fucking gallows. When, what year would that have been? 2010. 2010. Trying to think it was good gallows or shite gallows. Probably all shite gallows, but I'd have gone for Gogol Bardillo and Roots Maneuver for sure. In fairness, I do only know Roots Maneuver's only one song by Roots Maneuver, and it's Witness to Fitness because it's a gem. It's from the album Run Come Save Me. It's on my list. It's on the list. It's on the list. Oh, wow. We're going to cover Roots Maneuver. One day. I'm down with that. I'm fun. not ready for it yet. <laughs> nah, the, the, I mean, I remember the Rage Factor happening and like probably the last time I listened to the, the Christmas number one in the UK. You know, I used to love that shit when I was a kid. But like, I remember being on the radio just like, what, what's it going to be? Is it, has it made it? Has it made it? Because, you know, this is, this is before that sort of stuff could have leaked or you sort of had a better idea of what the social media could have been. And, and yeah. I had a, I, I was working Christmas Eve at at a call center and we just and when christmas was on everyone takes things a little less seriously so we had the radio on and that song came on and like the boss kind of come over and just like just turned it down a little bit (laughs) at least it didn't turn it off didn't turn it off but i had to turn it off can't have any customers hearing that on the phone can we it's like oh spoil sports Uh, this is the machine i work for never mind (laughs) 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 fuck fuck that machine one day currently pays the bills well fair play fair play yeah I don't know guys where does where does that leave us with Rage Against the Machine um well I think we've covered all of the all of the stuff yeah there's not more more to say I have ranked them I have ranked the albums right okay I don't know why you're doing this to yourself I had to I just had to I mean there's there's four distinct I I know I didn't you didn't have to do it to yourself well I have right right, so anyway so four albums Mm -hmm. in fourth place I'd have to put Battle of Los Angeles shock should be no shock there from what we've discussed in third place I'll put Renegades again I think that's pretty 
sensible. Again, marginal differences here, I'm assuming. Oh yeah, yeah. These are these are like you know, split seconds between them. In second place, I'm going to put the self-titled, and in first place, I'm going to put Evil Empire. Ooh, wow. That's been my dilemma: is that that switching between first and second, and again, it could depend on the weather. It might I, change. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with you, Lav, apart from I would switch one and two. I, I think that I just because of that what that first album was, the offering that it that it gave to the world, like there hadn't really been a band like Rage Against the Machine in that kind of format before. I just don't think I can that that's what would that's what would sway it for me. I think musically they're both hard to separate. Um but yeah, I would I would probably go with the the, the self titled album first just because of yeah, just because it's just bomb track the way it starts and and you know yeah that's what I would do. I'm pretty sure bomb track and Cochise by Audio Slave are very similar riffs. They're, they're essentially the same notes in a different order. Just like many other songs. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got this song here. It's 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 in. It's got all the all. There are a lot more. <laughs> Yeah, they're a lot more similar than that. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I'm, uh, anyway, so what, what what would I say? I, yeah, my opinion could change tomorrow. I don't I don't particularly differentiate Battle of Los Angeles or, or Renegades to any nth degree. They're sort of joint third, I suppose. And then, yeah, as Gaz has said, self-titled because it was that first thing anyone had ever experienced but also valid point that Evil Empire just has that sort of extra edge that the sort of definitely the other two are, are sorry the um, Battle of Los Angeles is lacking mm-hmm. it's not to say that not to its not to its detriment lacking, yeah. not none of these none of these yeah. comments are to any of the album's detriment it is to the to, to speak it's speaking so highly of Evil Empire of, of again that just that sound that's something they've captured lightning in a bottle with that sound mm-hmm. just like the 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 sort of the initial for the first album they've captured something there and with battle of los angeles i don't think they've captured anything new i think it's just a, a progression in their way but yeah it's got a bit of a, a sheen to it something slight touch of polish which take that back and i think they'd have a brilliant album underneath it and it's so so close to being a you know 10 out of 10 but just just pitched, pip, pipped at the last. Instead, it's nine and a half. Basically, yeah. No, I agree. And I mean, this band has been so influential in in sort of my upbringing musically, physically, as as I've sort of taught myself how to play bass, etc. Which maybe explains why I can't play bass very well. But yeah, I will. I will. Con- this this band will continue to have a place in sort of my listening back catalogue for for essentially forever. If I can say that, if I can be so bold as to say, I will listen to Rage Against the Machine forever. I can't. That's not to say I'm going to listen to them every day of every year, but they will. An album will work its way back in over the years, and definitely, I'll I'll remain a Rage Against the Machine fan. I think. For a very long time to come. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree with you, Keith. Like there, there, there's a few artists that you discover in your teenage years, like in those formative years, that stay with you forever. And there's not very many. There isn't yeah. very many that really become one of those very important bands. You know, yeah. Weezer is one for me. The Blue Weezer album, the 
President's United States of America first album. That stays with me forever. Uh, Rated R, Queens of the Stone Age, it stays with me forever. And certainly the first two Rage Against Machine albums. 100% uh, will stay. I very would, I would very rarely put them on these days. They come on shuffle every now and again and they're welcome. They're more than welcome. Yeah. All, yeah. I, I'll, I would always really enjoy listening to it. I don't put them on very often. But if I was to put if I was to put anything on, it would be the first album. If I was to actually decide to listen to Rage Against the Machine, I think I'm the same. I, yeah, I would. Because ironically, and almost against what we're saying, because Evil Empire has that edge, because it has that sort of heavier, darker punch, it's a little bit of a harder listen. Yep. You know, it's it, it's not it's not as background an album as say self titled not to self-titled's detriment you know you can put it on you can enjoy it and it can and, and it can be you, you know you can whatever your chores are for the day or whatever jobs you're doing in the house you can you can do that but i, th- I think i'd have to sit down and reevaluate some things every time i put on evil empire yeah. you know it's because it just has that weight i think just with the music that i listen to today i don't think i listen to anything like rage against the machine no because there's nothing like Rage Against Machine. That's there right. is nothing like. Agreed, agreed. Um, but at the same time, I think Evil Empire is probably. I listen to a lot of heavy metalcore, black metal, black gaze, whatever you want to call it, and I think that sort of fits that bill. Again, it's really dark tone tonally. It's really got that raw sound. Mm. I I end up picking it over that because just sometimes that's just what I want to hear. I think the first album I've overplayed that myself. That to, I ruined it myself. Not ruined it by any means, but I think I know that album back to front, inside out, and I don't really get much from listening to it. Evil Empire always finds something new. I always spot something, something that I didn't hear before, and that's why I've probably picked it as my my top one. It's. I'm just wondering. Final thought. It's almost to their credit that the band broke up. Admittedly, we've talked about Timmy C being a bit of a fanny. We've talked about Tom being a bit of a fanny, and uh, you know, as the years have gone on, but they've also. <laughs> and uh, Brad Wilk looks slightly kind of like Brad Wilk looking dorky behind the drum. Yeah. <laughs> Zach being a recluse, and the fucking string players being utter fannies. But, but, they've not they've not ruined their music kind of like what you were saying guys like they're, they're, there's there's these bands that stick with you throughout the years and one of the first bands you i sort of thought of when you said that was again muse or, or incubus like if if you'd asked me when i was 21 what are my favorite bands it was raging Against machine muse and incubus but as the years have gone on couldn't really listen to muse anymore because they're dog shit and yeah. incubus have gone to a place that isn't 100% my thing so while I still appreciate the older music and I have a taste for the new stuff it's it still doesn't hold the same value but Rage Against the Machine stay as Rage Against the Machine yeah I, I think we're, we're probably wrapping up quite soon but just one quick wee point I don't know Keith just because you mentioned Muse have you seen uh, and Lav as well I don't know have either of you seen the video where um, Tom Morello joins Muse on stage um, yeah, yeah. No, was this not when they played Wembley? Uh, yeah, it was a big stadium. It might have been Wembley, and yeah. it, is, it is literally one of the worst things yeah. I've ever seen. It's awful. <laughs> 
Tom Morello <laughs> appears from nowhere out of this out of the stage, and he plays the worst guitar solo I've ever heard in my life. It's so bad. Uh, I, I creased myself. I, I watched it. I nearly did a reaction video for YouTube just because I was laughing so much at how ridiculous it is. But if anyone, any of your listeners want to check it out and haven't seen it, I'd highly recommend it. Like if you still like Tom Morello, watch that and you might change your mind. It's it's um, it's not it's not Wembley. It's it's from Manchester apparently. Okay. So it's a far it's far more recent than I thought it was. But yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's so bad. It's just it's really it, funny though. It just it just kind of ties in with sort of where Muse went and sort of they dragged Tom Morello with them a little bit. Goodness, yeah, it, can, it encapsulates what you just said about both about about Muse and. Yeah. But hey, that was that Rage Against Machine. Are, are are we? Do we have anything more to say? No, I've I've I think we've covered more than more than I thought we would. Yeah, I think so. Excellent, ideal. Well. Thanks, everyone. Bye. <laughs> thank, thank you very much for joining us, guys. Uh, are there any projects you'd like to tell our listeners about? Well, I was thinking about this. I know I said at the start not, but um, one of my rock projects called Flux Velociraptor, we did a release last year called 3000 Fists. And it's just because we, we meant Radiance Machine quite uh, anti, sort of, well, supposed to be anti-capitalist. And uh, we mentioned about them slagging off the BBC because that's what that song does. So if anyone's into big riffs and slagging off the BBC and the, the, the Tory government, then 3000 Fists by Flux Velociraptor, you could maybe go and check out. There we go. Definitely, um, we will link to that. So next week's me, isn't it? Next week's a, a time warp, isn't it? Because oh, well, no, the, the, the people don't need to know the magic that's going on behind the scenes here. Oh, all right, okay. Yeah, we'll sure. tell, we'll no, tell no them then in the next one. <laughs> all right, okay. Cool. Uh, yeah, what, what next week's um, on you, bud? I, I've, I've, been, I've been thinking about it, and I think in the direction we're going in, I think I'd like to talk about Relationship of Command by At The Drive-In. Oh, that would be a good one. I'm sure that was a, a an alternative choice for you guys, wasn't it? At the drive-ins, yeah, it was mentioned. Yeah, was uh, mentioned. no, no, it was. Um, were we not going to do Ma- Mars Volta? Yeah, it that was. was it. it was, it was uh, interact. Um, yes, it was. Uh, Del- Deleuze in the Comatorium was the what one. we were going to do. Yeah, that would have been a good one as well. <laughs> well, this this is like the Mars Volta and uh, at the drive-in are like two bands that I know were massive at the time, but I just. I just, I just sort of bypassed them. I know other people that were into them at the time, but I just never really, I never really got into them. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it next week. Can't wait. I think I'm, I'm, I think I've got a few things to say, which is, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Yeah, right. spectacular. Awesome. You're gonna take us home, Keith. I'll, I'll take us home. Thanks everyone for listening. This has been a live or just blathering. Head over to our Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, if you'd like at AOGB Podcast for all our latest updates. Next time on our live or just breathing, blethering, Lab is going to take us through something by At The Driver. Relationship of Command. Relationship of Command by At The Driver. Thanks very much. Thanks everyone. Thanks. Good night.